you guys excited to be here? Yeah. All right, good. That's what I like to hear because today we are wrapping up our final session here in the Daniel Plan. If you're just kind of joining us here today for the first time, the Daniel Plan is a journey that we started six weeks ago or five weeks ago or whatever it was. And it was a plan to glorify God, not just in our spirits, but in our bodies, as it was commanded to us by the scripture, because we know that our, our bodies are the temple of God and it's where God lives. And a lot of us, we agreed in the beginning, we needed to apologize for the way we were treating God's house. And we saw together, we saw the five F's of the Daniel plan that we need to focus on together. We need to focus on glorifying God in our faith. Okay, that's in our spirits, with our food choices, with our fitness, with our focus mentally, and then with our friendships and our relationships as well. And we've been talking about that, and especially if you've been in the life groups, hopefully you've made some progress over the past few weeks. I've heard fantastic success stories. Every time somebody tells me about how um, the Daniel plan has helped change them and change their relationships and change their habits and, and change different parts of their life, it is so encouraging all right, to see that people are really living a new life okay, through some of these changes, because that's the whole point of it, is that we change our habits, we change our lives. But what we're going to talk about here today, sorry, what we're going to talk about here today is turning the short-term changes, which we are all experts in, into long-term life change. Because if we're honest, making short-term changes, like actually somebody said this to me recently. Someone said, I can't wait for Daniel plan to end so I can go back to eating the good food. I don't want to tell you that person was my son. Okay. <laughs> He's basically saying, I can't wait for you guys to stop this Daniel plan thing so we can go back to eating the junk that we used to eat all the time. And it made me think, it made me realize something, that the truth is, is that we've trained them that change happens in the short term, but just hold, just hold on tight, stick it out, and we'll go back to the old stuff after a while. And this is the way most of us live. We come to church, we make a change, and then naturally gravitational pull pulls us back to where we are. We want to talk about today how to sustain a life glorifying God in our body. And in order to sustain any change in life, in any aspect of your life, it always begins here with understanding. Psalm chapter 139 verse 14 says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Another translation of this verse says, I am wonderfully complex. I am wonderfully complex. All the husbands looking to their wives saying, yes, you are, sweetheart. <laughs> he says that, you go back and say, and you, thank God, you're simple, okay? <laughs> we are all complex beings, and we have a lot more than meets the eye inside of us, how we relate to one another, how we make decisions, and how we operate. The truth is, is there are many factors that make up who I am and who you are. And if you are not aware of the different factors that go into your being, your complex being, it will be difficult for you to steer the ship in the right direction unless you are aware of how everything operates that's going on inside you. How are we complex? We come from different backgrounds, all right? And that background plays a role in who you are. We were raised differently by our parents, and that plays a role in who you are. We had different relationships with our brothers and our sisters, with our neighborhood friends. We had different teachers growing up. We were given different set of experiences and circumstances that we went through. There's all kinds of different factors that make up who we are. And what we're going to talk about today is how to make the most of what we were given. 
There's a famous parable in the scripture, Matthew chapter 25, it's called the parable of the talents. I'm sure you've heard it before. The parable goes something like this. There's a man, a master who has servants, and he gives to each one of his servants a set of talents. To one he gives five, to one he gives two, to one he gives one. He goes away to a far land, and he comes back, and he judges them based on what they did with what he gave them. So the one who had five talents produced another five. He said, you did a good job. The one who produced two, one who was given two talents only produced two. This guy produced five. This guy produced two. Therefore, he should be judged worse. Correctly? This guy produced five. This guy produced two dollars as profit. Was he judged differently? He was judged the same. Why? Not because he produced the same, but because he did the most with what he could. And then another guy was given one talent, and he did nothing with it, and he just returned the one with no interest on it, and he was judged very harshly. Why? Because he did not make the most use out of what he was given. The, the moral of the story is we are not graded on a straight uh, exam grade scale. Each one is gifted differently and is judged based on what they are given. God holds us accountable to what we are given. So we need to discover what we are given. And just as a little teaser, all right, what we're going to start next week, actually, I, I believe in this so much that God has made us all differently and unique, and, and there's so much value into the uniqueness of each person when everyone understands it and taps into it and uses it for the glory of God. Next week, we're going to start a two-week series. It's called Living Your Strengths, and that's actually the book you see at the connection table is this based on that book, which everyone is encouraged to welcome to go grab. It's going to be a series where we're going to take a test together, or individually, and then we'll talk about it. It's called the Clifton Strengths Finder Test. Y'all heard about this? Clifton Strengths Finder? Okay, very good. It's a very famous test that you might take in your office or you might just take it for your own personal growth. Something that's very beneficial, which helps identify what are the strengths that each one of us has. Because each person in this room has a different set of strengths. And we're going to do a two-week series based on that book where we're going to talk about our strengths and how to ultimately use those strengths to glorify God. But that's going to be starting next week. What I'm going to talk about here today is we are going to look at the five factors that influence our identity. And we are going to use a poker analogy. We got poker players in the room here today? We're going to play five-card stud. Y'all know what five-card stud is? Five-card stud is a poker game where you are dealt five cards. And you can do nothing with those five cards except play those five cards. You may not like some of your cards. Or you may say, it's not fair, I want his cards. But that ain't how the game is played. The cards you're given is the cards that you're given. And you have to make the most use out of what you're given. Life is the same way. We're talking about five characteristics, five factors of our identity that we didn't choose. Like I said, we didn't choose who our parents were. We didn't choose what city or country we were born in. We didn't choose what our ethnicity is. We didn't choose the language that we speak or how we spoke. There's a lot of things that we didn't choose, a lot of cards that were dealt to us. And we're going to see together how to make the most out of these cards because what I believe, like in the parable of the talents, it's not the guy who has the highest five cards is the one who wins this game. It's the one who makes the best use out of the cards that he's dealt. Let's jump into the five factors. The first card that we are dealt make sure this way this way, is, I don't know if you all can see that from where you are, my chemistry. Each one has a chemistry card. And your chemistry card is... Your physical makeup, your biology, your DNA, your chromosomes. And each one of us, just look at your little fingerprint, it's easy to see that each one of us was made differently. And each one of us was given different positives as far as physically, okay, and, and chemically and, 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 and emotionally and hormonally and whatever it may be. And each one of us is given different flaws. 
What you'll see with all five of these cards, kind of the, the theme that you'll see, is each one of them is flawed by sin. So each one of these cards is messed up and isn't perfect the way it's supposed to be because of sin that has marred them all. What do I mean by our chemistry is flawed and we have different uh, chemistry and different weaknesses when it comes to our chemistry? Some people are born with a deficiency in their eyes. The parents had bad eyesight, so the kids are more prone to having bad eyesight, okay, and to probably wear glasses. Some with teeth, born with different situation in the teeth. Some born with the disc in the back, okay, and no matter how hard you pray and how hard you try and how hard you fast, you got a bulging disc in your back, all right? Go even further, and you could take it even at a level, some people born with low thyroid. You know someone, if you're born with low thyroid, which makes you, like, have low energy, and someone says, you, you need to pray for hours and hours and hours on end. Look, if you got low thyroid, you can pray all you want. You can, you can read all the You're going to struggle to stand in prayer for long hours. If you got a situation in your feet and your feet were born differently, you're going to really struggle when it comes to a two-and-a-half-hour liturgy on Sunday mornings. There's different things inside our makeup that are not spiritual problems, but sometimes we over-spiritualize them and make them into something that they're not. We need to understand them and accept them. I'll tell you one example that I was reading about recently. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Have you all heard of ever, uh, ever heard of a chemical, like a, 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 a chemical in your brain called oxytocin? Have you all ever heard of this? Oxytocin, the article was titled, The Most Important Molecule in the Universe. That's why the article struck me. So I want to see what this is. Oxytocin is a chemical that your brain releases. Okay, it's like a, it's something uh, within us that is, is, is not it's something that you do intentionally, but it's a, it's a hormone or a chemical that's released that allows us to bond and connect with one another. It's the, it's the chemical that allows us to have love relationships with one another. Did you know they did a study on this oxytocin thing, and they found in the Midwest there's these little hamsters. They're called prairie voles. Prairie voles, like a little hamster, a little whatever it's called. These little prairie voles are, are significant because they're one of the very, very, very few and rare animals that when they mate, they mate for life. Little hamsters, they mate for life. So much so that even if they mate with another little hamster and that little hamster dies, they usually don't mate again. They did some studies on these little guys because this is very unique behavior in the animal world. This is unique in the, in the, the human world, okay? <laughs> And they found that these little guys have a very, very high level of this oxytocin chemical inside their bodies. And when they would reduce that oxytocin through whatever scientific method that they would do, they found these little prairie voles were as frisky as rabbits. But at the level of oxytocin like this, they were committed for life. What I'm saying is, if you don't have enough oxytocin in your body, you're going to struggle in relationships. And there's some things that you cannot control about that. There's some things that's chemical inside of us. That's why, just so you know, just uh, as a little side note there, that when two human beings have sex, it releases a large amount of oxytocin. And that's what creates that emotional closeness and that bond. And that's why God said in marriage, it is very good for couples to be sexual with one another. Because it creates that bond. And couples that struggle in that area are going to struggle to feel close. And that's why God said it is very not good for couples who are not married to be sexually active. Because it creates a bond that isn't based on a commitment. And you are setting yourself up for hurt and rejection 
My point is, God knows what he's doing when he gives us these rules, doesn't he? He knows what he's doing. And he understands the chemistry and the stuff that we don't understand. And the person who is sexually active and, and giving themselves away, they're giving away a piece of themselves, an emotion of themselves, they can never get back. Because sex is more than just a physical act. It's a chemical act as well. It's an emotional act. It's a spiritual act. And so on and so forth. Bottom line is this. There are things inside of us that we don't understand. And there's things inside of us that we need to accept as part of who we are and not over-spiritualize them, making us good or bad. I want you to write this down if you struggle with this. Or I want everyone to write this down. No flaw is sinful. No flaw is sinful. If you have attention deficit disorder, like many people have, that doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean that you're bad because you can't focus on a two-hour liturgy. It means that you got a problem that you need to address, and there's no shame in that. Just like if I got a problem in my knee, like why is it that we make it a problem in my knee is okay. It's not taboo. But a problem in my brain or in my emotions, that's all of a sudden taboo, and that makes me bad, or we can't talk about that stuff. Someone just told me recently it's their life mission, and I was very proud of this person. That we would speak about mental illnesses just like we speak about physical illnesses with no difference. Because there's really no difference. If you were born with a problem in your back or in your knee or in your shoulder, in your brain, it's the same. There's nothing that person did and there's no flaw that's shameful. First card we're all given is a chemistry card that we cannot change. That's just how God made us. Second card that we are given is my connections. My connections. My connections means we are all products of the relationships in our lives that we didn't choose. We're products of our parents. We're products of our brothers and our sisters. We're products of our teachers and the schools that we went to. And research shows, research shows that how you see yourself, your view of yourself is largely determined. The one greatest factor in how you view yourself is how you think the most important people in your life view you. How you think, so not how those people view you, but how you think the most important person in your life views you. That's why if you want to be healthy mentally and emotionally and for life, make the most important person in your life Jesus. That's why we need to make him the most important person in your life. Because we need to base who we are based on what we, what he thinks of us, not on what our estranged father thinks of us or our uh, mother who was never affectionate with us thinks of us or on how our teacher who told us that we were worthless thinks of us. When you make that person the most important person in your life, you will struggle with your identity. Problem is in life is all of us are imperfect beings. So if you make any person the most important person in your life, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up to be influenced by this card in a way that's, that, that is, going, is going to come back to bite you. Go back to the very beginning of human relationships. Go back to Adam and Eve. You had Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was perfect. Life was good. No sin. No, no, no problems. No, no, no rainy days. No earthquakes. No terrorism. No nothing. Just good, 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 good. And then sin got introduced into the world. What happened when sin came into the world? Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. After they ate from the fruit of the, for, the forbidden fruit, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What happened as soon as sin entered into this card? What happened? Man was created for a relationship with God and relationship with one another. That's how we were created. That's why Jesus said, most important thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This relationship between man and God was good. This relationship between man and man was good. Sin entered into the world, and all of a sudden, what's the characteristic now of man's relationship with God and man's relationship from one another? What did man do in each of those relationships? Man did what? He hid. He became ashamed. He hid from Eve. He hid from God. Now all of a sudden, fear entered in. Shame entered in. Covering up entered into the world. Next verse, see what happens after that. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? As if God didn't know where he was. God knew where he was. God wasn't trying to play hide and seek with him. God was trying to get him to, to, to man up. Why are you hiding? This is new behavior. All, of, all this time you were naked, there was no problem. What happened? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. We'll trail off right there, okay? What happened? What happened when sin entered into this? Man started hiding, covering up, and then blaming, okay? And saying, it's her fault. She's the one who did it. And actually, who put her here? You put her here. It's actually your fault. This whole mess is your fault. What happened when fear entered in? As man started accusing and excusing. <laughs> accusing and excusing himself. Because that's what sin does. And that's what happens. And in, in, that's why this card gets messed up. Is because we cover up. I, was, I loved, loved, loved two weeks ago when Michael was up here and he was speaking. About how in our relationships we need to be more vulnerable with one another. Remember when we were talking about relationships? Being more vulnerable with one another. Because what has happened because of sin in our relationships is we began covering up our weaknesses, covering up the areas that we're ashamed of, covering up the, 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 the flaws in us, and that only led to more and more problems. Connections card. Third card is my circumstances. My circumstances card. And my circumstances, that's an easy one. My circumstances are things that happened to me in life that were beyond my control. All of us had events happen to us, especially the painful ones, the traumatic ones, the abusive ones. Whatever it may be, all of us are products, and we cannot deny that the way, the things that happened to us affected who we are today. Some people today, like some people, for example, were abused when they were younger. That affects them today. Some people were spoiled when they were younger. That affects them today and affects their spouse as well. Some people were orphaned when they were younger. Some people were left alone a lot when they were younger. Some people were hugged and kissed a lot. Whatever it was that what happened to us, those things affect us. Some of us went through very painful experiences when we were in high school. Very uh, shameful and embarrassing and humiliating. These things affect us, and we got to realize that all these things affect who we are today. Number four. This is a big one. My consciousness. You know what my consciousness means? My consciousness is how I speak to myself. Oh, let me say it better. 
how I preach to myself. Because we're all preachers inside. And every one of us preaches. The preacher you listen to most isn't me, it's yourself. Because you're always preaching to yourself and you're doing it right now. Sitting there saying, how long is he going to talk for today? I'm hungry. Man, I look good today. This shirt is a nice shirt. Uh, she wants me. I know she does. Yeah. <laughs> we talk to ourselves all the time. And we believe ourselves all the time. And that's the dangerous part. Because what the Bible teaches us about speaking to ourselves, it says that Jeremiah 17, 9, is the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You talk to yourself all the time. And some of you, some of you, if you talked to your friends the way you talk to yourself, you wouldn't be friends with them anymore. They would leave you the way you are abusive and the way you are mean-spirited in the way you talk to yourself. No good, worthless, unlovable, unattractive, can never amount to anything. He'll never love me. I'll never get married. The way we talk to ourselves and beat our... If you talk to another human being that way, they wouldn't stay talking to you very long. Problem is in life, we believe the things that we say to ourselves more than what we believe others say to us. You may say something to me once, and then you walk away. But what I do is I repeat it over and over and over and over and over. And the more you repeat it, the more it embeds itself in your very identity. It becomes part of who you are. Bible says it this way in Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, the one who says, I'll never be a good wife. As she thinks in her heart, so is she. Because she will find behavior to validate that belief, and it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The one who says, I will never have close relationships, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the same way. The things that we tell ourselves, which, like I said, oftentimes it was told to us, and we just held on to it. Those things become part of who we are. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Another translation of this same verse says it even more eloquently. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts will run your life. Be careful what you think because your thoughts will run your life. If you struggle with thoughts, and I know many people struggle with thoughts, and you tell yourself all these thoughts and you can't get past your thoughts, do me a favor. And this is another, write, this is another one to write down. Write this one down. Feelings are not facts. That's why they're called feelings. Feelings are not facts. You feel worthless doesn't mean you're worthless. You feel unlovable doesn't mean you're unlovable. You feel like you can never account, uh, amount to much doesn't mean you can never amount to much. I'm not denying your feeling. I'm saying I understand that. That's a valid feeling. But a feeling is not a fact. And we need to understand that. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And if we don't change the way we think in our heart, we will, we will validate those very fears and anxieties. The book of Job says something that I hope never comes true for all of us. Job says, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I'm telling you, the very thing that you fear the most is the most likely thing to happen to you if you continue to fear it. The very thing that you fear the most if you continue to fear it. Because so, as a man thinks, so is he. The one who thinks, you know what, my husband is never going to love me. And I, I, I'm, he's never going to love me. Or my wife is never, ever going to forgive me for that. Then you know what? As you think in your heart, a lot of times these things come true. 
but it doesn't need to come true. You know why it doesn't need to come true? I know I've given a depressing picture so far, but that's only, I've only given you the first four cards. I didn't give you the fifth card yet. The fifth card's the best one. The fifth card is actually the most important card. That's why it's a different color. Because the fifth card has the power to change every other card. You know what the fifth card is? The fifth card is my choices. My choices. You know why this is the most important card? Because this card controls all the other cards. And this card has the ability to change the number and the suit of all the other cards. This is what's called in poker a wild card. And if we learn how to use this card correctly, then no matter how bad this one looks, or how bad this one looks, or how bad this one, or how bad this one, if we learn how to use this one, we can win the game of poker. As human beings, we are given a great gift, and that gift is the ability to make choices. We are given something called free will, and free will is a gift God gave us out of his love for us, out of his respect for us, out of his desire to make us not slaves, but to make us children. And free will is the best thing we were ever given. But it's also the worst thing we were ever given. Because free will by its very nature means you have the power to choose. And because you have the power to choose, you have the power to make the best choices. You also have the power to make the dumbest choices. And you have the power to use this wild card to ruin all the other ones just as much as you have the power to use this card to fix all the other ones as well. I didn't choose my chemistry but I choose what I do with my chemistry. I didn't choose my relationships, but I choose how to, which ones to build and invest in and which ones to get rid of. I didn't choose my circumstances. I didn't choose my consciousness. But I have a choice in what I do now that I've been given those things. And what we want to talk about the rest of the time is how we can make winning choices with each of these five cards. And what we can do, no matter what card was dealt to us, what we can do to win this game of poker, because like we said, what we were given isn't as important as what we do with what we're given. And we want to see with each of these cards what choice we should make. And I'm telling you up front that the outcome of your life, the outcome of your life is not determined by these four. It's determined by this one. The and I'll, I'll go even further. The outcome of your eternity is not determined by any of these four. It is 100% determined by this. And that's why we're going to look at this card right now and see what choice we need to make in each one of these areas to win this game of five-card stud. First thing we're going to do, first choice with my chemistry. The choice is to get healthier. As you see, we have a great role model up there. It doesn't matter what your flaw is in life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your chemistry is, what weakness you have. There's a step you can take today to get more healthy. I'm not saying you're healthy or unhealthy. There's no such thing as help. There's not, it's like saying you're spiritual or not spiritual. There's no such thing. There's a thing to say that I can take a step towards being more spiritual. I can take a step between, be, 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 towards being more healthy. I need to take a step. I need to identify what in my chemistry is a weakness that I can take a step towards addressing and get more healthier. You are always tired. You can do something about that. You are very stressed out. You can do something about that. You are sluggish. Uh, you, don't, uh, you can't focus mentally. You can do something about that. You got a problem in your back. I'm not saying you can solve it. Maybe it's, you can do something. See, our problem in life is we say there's things that we can't control. 
Okay, but there's things that we can't control. And if my problem is this big, and there's this much that controllable and this much uncontrollable, let me address the controllable and then deal with the uncontrollable. I've cut it in half. Yes, there are factors in everything that I just mentioned that you can't control. There's some things that you'll never be able to fix about your chemistry. But there's some things that you can. And our goal in this game of poker isn't to complain about what we have been given, but to make the most of what we've been given. It's not our job to say, he got this card and I got this card, I'm a complaint. No, it's to make the most out of this card. Who cares what he got? Hey, I'm not going to be judged based on what he got. I'm going to be judged based on what I got. Each of us needs to make better use out of what it is that we've been given. Psalm 119, verse 73, says, Your hands have made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. You created me wonderfully complex. Not miserably complex, wonderfully complex. Now, Lord, help me to understand how this complex structure, how I can make it and get better use out of it. You struggle with chronic pain? I'm not saying I can alleviate it. But I'm saying maybe if you exercise a little bit, you can take that pain from here to here. You know, especially for the pain one, what the, the discoveries that science has made in pain management and all that kinds of stuff, man, that stuff is incredible. And there's a lot more for those who say there's nothing you can do. I'm not saying that you can fix everything because I can't say that, but I'm saying there's something you can do. You struggle emotionally. Maybe you need to get healthy by going seeing a counselor. And not being embarrassed to say, no, 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 that's taboo, that's whatever. Maybe you need to say, I need to go see a counselor. Because the chemistry God gave me is as such, and I need to make the best choice with the chemistry God gave me. And I'm not going to be embarrassed, I'm not going to be ashamed, because I know there's no difference between someone being born with a problem in their foot, or a problem in their knee, or a problem in their brain, or a problem in their hormones, or their problem in their anxiety. There's no problem, there's no shame in any one of those things. Each one was given to me. I'm going to make the most out of what I've been given. So my question to you, I'm throwing it to you. What choice do you need to make now to get more healthy? Some of you need to go see a doctor. It's been a while since you went for that physical. Maybe you need time to go get a physical. Some of you need to see a counselor. Some of you need to uh, start eating the way that we've been talking about for the past several weeks and stop resisting it and start taking a step to say, you know what, maybe I'm not going to go all that way, but maybe I can cut this, I can cut that. What step can you take to get more healthy in life? You know why it's so important? Shakespeare summed it up best. He said, it is impossible to be a philosopher with a toothache. It is impossible to be a philosopher with a toothache. And I couldn't agree more. There's certain things in life that are going to stop you from being who God wants you to be until you make a wise choice and address them. That's number one, first choice. Second choice, when it comes to our connections with our relationships, I will choose to deepen my relationships. Oops. Sorry, I lost my choice card. Sorry. I can. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. <laughs> That's a good choice. Thank you. Dad's always there when you need him. I will choose to deepen my relationships. Do we need more friendships? No. What do we need? We need better friendships. We don't need more quantity of relationships. We need more quality in our relationships. We need more depth in our relationships. We need more vulnerability in our relationships. And I will make a choice to not just hang out, but I will make a choice to go deeper in certain relationships in my life. And that may mean cutting off certain relationships, but I will choose to deepen the ones that need to be invested in. I told you all this Daniel plan idea started with me at the start of the year. I set certain goals for myself. And one of them 
was a physical goal, okay, to drop, you know, some weight, pick up a little muscle. I know. You say, how could you? I, I know. There was actually room for improvement here. I know. I, I know. And I set that as one of my goals. And one of the other goals that I set was a relational goal. And it involved certain key relationships in my life, both in my immediate family, and I had a goal regarding my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my kids and how I wanted that relationship to be better at December 31st than it was at January 1st. And I made, this, like, uh, goals of, how, like, our date night and, our, and our, I have time with my kid and my son and my daughter, all this kinds of stuff. I also made decisions and goals about my relationships outside of my immediate family. Certain friends and family and, like, my parents, okay, and my, and my brother and, and certain other relationships that I was going to be very intentional about not every week, okay, because I would love to hang out with mom every week as much as that would make me so happy, okay, but, but on, you know, on a schedule, okay, because I'm not, me personally, I'm not relationally, like, smart, naturally. So I had to make it like a goal and make it like a system. People laugh at me, but this is the way I operate. And I said, you know what, in 2014, I identified this, this, and this relationship is important to me. I will be intentional about investing in each one of these things. And I'm not saying I'm the best son or the best brother, the best friend or best whatever, but what I'm saying is that setting, making a choice to be intentional is one of the best things you'll ever do. So what choice will you make? Maybe you need to make a choice to call your mom once a week, or twice a week, <laughs> as, as often as you can, okay? <laughs> Maybe you need to make a choice to when the guys come over again, this time to turn off the TV and to actually look at one another and communicate to one another with your mouth and speaking. Maybe you need to make a decision, a choice, to go to somebody and say, will you mentor me? Will you hold me accountable? Will you help me be a better person? Now, so, as soon as I say that, some of you are thinking, hold, 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 hold on. This is awkward. This is awkward. Well, I got another thing that you can write down for you in between the notes there. Awkward won't kill me. Write that down. Awkward won't kill me. Take it from the king of awkward himself. No one lives in a state of awkwardness more than me. Okay, I'm not as sociable as, as normal people are, okay, and I live in a state of awkward, and I'm telling you, I am living proof that awkward doesn't kill you, and there's no harm in going and saying, hey, I want to take a, ch a chance here and say, I think you would be a very good mentor to me. Are you willing to do that? Yes, it's awkward. Yes, it puts me at risk, but that's where life becomes sweet when we go deeper, not just shallow, superficial. St. John says it this way in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Go back to 7th grade. Do y'all remember 7th grade? My first, or not my first because I was the good kid, okay, but the other kids, the bad kids, they had something called a school dance, okay? I only heard about these things when people confessed about them. I don't know about these things, okay? <laughs> something called a school dance. And what I heard was, that a school dance, especially the first one, is a highly stressful event in seventh grade. Am I speaking the truth? Highly stressful. Why? Because you walk in alone, and there's a mass of people. And when you are in seventh grade, all you care about is being popular. All right? You may be spiritual. You may be, oh, you don't care about that stuff. You want to be popular. You want to be accepted. And when you walk into that room, and you see a thousand eyes, all you're thinking is, I wonder what they're thinking of me. Is my zipper down? Am I walking cool? Is my hair a booger? What, what's going on? And you try to, and you try, and all you're thinking about is, what are they thinking about me? You're afraid. What are they thinking about me? Well, you know what I discovered? 
Let me tell you a little secret. You know what they're thinking? They're not looking at your zipper being down or looking at the booger on your face. You know why? Because they're thinking the exact same thing. They're thinking the exact same thing. Just the way you don't admit it, you... <laughs> they do the same thing. And that's why, now, re, now different story. Now you didn't walk into the dance alone. Now you walked in with the cool kids. You know the cool kids? You walked in in the middle of the cool kids. Arm around cool kid A and arm around cool kid B. All right, and if you're a girl, these are your, your female friends, and if you're a guy, these are hopefully also your female friends as well, okay? And you walked in. Now how do you feel? Now you feel like you're on top of the world. Why? Because you got relationships around you that you think, all right, validate you and make you something that you're not. I'm telling you, this is the way all of us live. This is the way all of us live. All of us have this fear in life. All of us have this fear of being rejected. All of us have this fear of being awkward, or be, uh, uh, being um, put in a situation where I'm made to feel bad about myself. And I'm saying, let's take off the fear and let's live in love. You know the difference between fear and love? Fear walks into the room and say, what are they thinking about me? You know what love walks into the room and say? Love walks into the room and say, that guy looks like he's lonely. I'm going to go talk to that guy. That guy looks like he's out of place. Let me go help, help him feel better. Fear worries about myself. Love looks outside and makes the other person try to feel comfortable about myself. Let me tell you something that's true. Tell you something honest. And this judges every one of us. Forgive me. I know people who walk into this church the same way I said walk into that dance. Afraid. People amongst us right now. They don't show it. Just like you don't show it. I know people who walk into church on Sunday. And I, I don't think that's right. That people come to church on Sunday and feel that way. Feel afraid. People do. I mean, did it make it worse? I know people walk into their home and feel afraid. Will they be accepted and loved in their home? And that ain't right. Did it make it worse? I know people who walk into their bedroom with their spouse and feel afraid. Will they be loved? Will they be accepted? I don't think that's right either. Instead of being the kid who's so worried, what do people think about me? Let's be the kid who goes and makes the others. Let's be the kid who's looking out, not looking in. Not seeing, is my zipper down, but seeing is somebody else's zipper down. In a nice way, not in a bad way, okay? You know what I'm trying to say. Let's be the kid who walks into our home, and it's not about me and my home. It's about my children and my spouse, or, or if you're single, it's about my friends, my roommates. It's not about me. It's about others. Because perfect love casts out fear. No one likes to live in fear. Does anybody like to live in fear? Remember back to Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve was great and good, and then all of a sudden scared. Hid from God. Hid from one another. Is there anyone who wants to live in fear? Choose to love. And choose to make a decision with your connections that, like I said, that you need to be more invested in others so that others can be more invested in you. Choose to say, like I said, will you be my accountability partner? Choose to go to that connection table next time I say there's life groups and say, I want to be part of a life group. And then choose to go and not just sit in a corner like a bump on a log, but choose to open up and choose to say something. And then choose to say to somebody in the group, hey, we had this little, can we go out and grab coffee one of these days? Like, I need to talk about something. Choose to do those things because those things will only enhance your life. And those are the things that will make you win, all right? The thing about fear, okay, last thing I'll say about fear. I hate fear, in case you can't tell, because I, I hate fear. Here's the thing about fear. 
if you struggle with fear, like if I say to you, go join a life group, and that makes you anxiety, or if I say to you, go talk to somebody that, that makes you stressed out, how do you remove fear? Fear is not logical. Okay, fear is emotional. You cannot out logic and emotion. You cannot convince yourself that the fear is not true. Like you say, I'm afraid. I can't convince you not to be afraid. All I can do is gently push you to take a step. Because I always think of the example of Moses and the Red Sea. When the Red Sea parted. The Red Sea is scary. The Red Sea is scary. I can't convince Moses that the Red Sea is not scary. I can't convince him of it. But what I can do is push him in. And as soon as he goes in, he sees that the sea parts and God worked. That's the only way you're going to overcome your fear. If you got fear of awkward relationship, you got fear of opening up. Only way you're gonna, the only way that is going to work, and that's what I'm trying to do right now, is nudge you in. And then once you get in, then you'll see it's not as scary as a thought. But I can't convince you to stay here in your room with the closet door closed and convince you that the boogeyman is not scary. Only way you're going to be convinced that the boogeyman isn't as big as he makes himself seem to be is stand up and open that door. And then you'll see, hey, the boogeyman gets smaller every single time I open the closet door. Tried it every day of my life. Every time you open that door, boogeyman goes away. Choose to deepen your relationships. Choice number three, and I'll try to roll through these a little bit quicker here. Choice number three is I will, with my circumstances, I will choose to trust God. I will choose to trust God no matter, and you can write this down, not just choose to trust, choose to trust God no matter what. If you struggle with this one, write that down. No matter what. No matter what hand I was dealt. No matter what circumstances, I will choose to trust God. And I'll be honest with you, this choice to choose to trust God in your circumstances, if there's one choice that will make you a different person, give you a new identity by tomorrow morning, not long term, but by tomorrow morning, is choose to trust God. Because the one who trusts God in every circumstance, man, that guy walks around like Superman. The Bible says it this way, slightly different way. It says, those, Psalm 125, verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. So not Superman, but a mountain. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. The number one way you change your identity is you say that these circumstances happen to me. I choose to trust God in this circumstance. Um, this happened to my parents when I was young, and I know, don't know why. I choose to trust you, God. You have a plan. I choose to trust you that your plan is better than my plan that you know what you're doing, that you didn't just show up yesterday and start this whole creator of the universe thing, that you've been doing this for a few years, and you know how to make all things work together for good to those who love you. And you, not one hair falls in my head unless you give it permission. And who is he who speaks and it comes to pass unless you, Lord, give it permission to speak? Choose to trust God in your circumstances, and it will transform your circumstances. Choose to say, I don't understand this, but I trust God, and I thank God, and I praise God, and I'm still going to obey God, no matter what the circumstance might be. Fourth card is your consciousness card. And with your consciousness card, the choice that you will make is to think positively. I can read some of your minds right now. I can't do that. I can't control my thoughts. I've heard many people, I can't control my thoughts. Some people will tell me that. A thought came to me. And I'm like, okay, so what? This thought came to me. Okay, so what? Just because a thought came to you doesn't mean that you have to keep on holding it around. There's a difference between a thought came to me and I pushed it away and a thought came to me and I cuddled with it, okay, and I caressed it and I looked inside it 
and I put it in my pocket, and I carry it around with me and say, hey, guys, look at this horrible thought that came to me all day. And I repeat it over and over. There's a difference. Yes, there, again, like I said in the beginning, there's certain things that are uncontrollable, but there's a lot of things that are controllable. And we're not focusing. My talk today has nothing to do with the uncontrollable thoughts or chemistry. I'm not talking about any of the uncontrollable stuff. I'm talking about the controllable that we have with each one of these cards. Did you know, again, the more and more science advances, I get fascinated with things about the brain. That stuff to me is fascinating about all the stuff that they have discovered about our brain. And this machine in here, okay, this machine in here, which I used to think, I've told you guys before, I used to think that the thing in the doctor's ear, okay, when the doctor sticks the thing in your ear, I used to think that was a brain exam, okay, that they would stick the thing in your ear and they would see your brain. So I'd always sit very still, you know what I mean? So they see my big brain when they stick the thing in my ear. But we discovered through other devices other than the thing in your ear, a lot of cool things about the brain. Did you know that any memory you have in life, any memory you have is stored in your brain? And even though you don't remember it, it's up there. And did you know the brain is sophisticated enough that it even has separate storehouses for the positive and the negative memories in your life? The things that bring you joy and the things that make you miserable. The brain is very sophisticated. And did you know the way the brain operates? Every time you think a thought, think of it like an electric current you know when you see the picture of the brain, it's all gushy and, and like little lines, okay? Like little things that are going in there. Every time you think a thought, it's like an electric current goes from one part of your brain to another. If you think a thought once, current. Think it again, current. Every time a current goes through, what does it do? Like imagine that you walk, you know, through the grass. Every time you walk through, it makes a little path. And if you walk through once, you kill a little bit of grass, a little path. But the more you walk through it, the more that path, it becomes what's called a depression, okay, in your mind. And it leads to depression oftentimes. It becomes a, a, a little canyon, okay, that is in our brain. If you think it once, twice, three, four, five times, to the point that some of you have thought this negative thought, have replayed it so many times. Someone told you that you're unlovable. Someone told you that you're worthless. Someone told you that you are unattractive. Someone told you that you are dumb. Someone told you that so many times, you replayed it so many times, that you come and say, I can't control it. Well, you know what? At this point, you almost can't control it because it's become like a, a, a grand canyon in your head because you've thought that thought so many times. But that doesn't mean that there's not a choice that you can't make about it. And the choice that we're going to make is we're going to choose to think positive because you know what else science has taught us? Science has taught us that for so many years that we thought the brain was something that was like we couldn't control. The brain is the brain, and that's all it is, and you can't do anything about it. But recently, over the past 10, 15 years, people, smart people, have discovered that the brain is actually not set in concrete. The brain is something that can change. That if you choose to think positive thoughts this way, you can change the physical nature, not the nature, but as much as you can change your brain. And you can change the depressions in your brain, because your brain is more elastic than we thought. Wouldn't it be cool if someone told us that before? Oh, yeah, God said that several thousand years ago. Because God told us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Before science caught up, God was way ahead of the curve on this one. And God said, look, you want to change your life? Change your mind. Change the way you think, it'll change your identity. It'll change everything about you if you can change the way you think. We say, oh, I can't change the way I think. No, God says, no, you can change the way you think. And how? I can't stop necessarily all those negative 
what I can do is start the positive thoughts. And I'm going to start a new set of transactions taking place in my brain to, to focus on the positive. This word, be transformed, comes from the Greek word. I'll tell you the Greek word. You tell me what you think it means literally. It, it's the Greek word metamorphosis. Or I'm sorry, the root is the same as the word metamorphosis. It's the, where we get the word metamorphosis from. What's metamorphosis? Remember back to, to, to science class. It's when you have a, a caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly. That's metamorphosis. The Bible says, be metamorphosized, be metamorphosized like a cocoon or like a, a caterpillar to a butterfly. How? By changing the way you think. It can change your life. From here, like what's the similarity between a butterfly and a caterpillar? Night and day. And I'm telling you, your life can be night and day if you choose one at a time, one at a time to think positive thoughts. Here comes the negative thoughts. I always say that we just need to have like a custom station inside our brain. Here comes a negative thought. It says, you're no good. My boss tells me you're worthless. My, uh, my friend tells me uh, you're dumb, whatever it may be. That negative thought, and I say, hold on, sir. You cannot enter this country because in this space is very valuable. That's what customs does. You're dangerous. You go back to your country. We don't allow him in here. And that thought came. I say, excuse me, sir, back to your country. And then another thought comes in saying, God loves you. Okay, let him in. Okay, he's a good one. Anytime a thought is positive and helps the economy, we let him in. Doesn't help the economy, send him back out. We need to be that same way in our brain, and that's the only way we're going to be changed our lives. I love this verse, Philippians 4.8. Here's a verse to memorize if you struggle with your thoughts. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, this gives you the list of what's accepted inside this country. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Y'all know what meditate means? It means think about over and over and over and over. I always say that meditate is the same as worry. But positive and negative. When you worry, you take a negative thought and over and over and over. When you meditate, you take a positive thought and over and over and over. This is the way your life is going to be changed. This is the way your identity is going to be changed. Here's a movie. Is this movie leading? Is this movie fit any of these characteristics? If it doesn't fit these characteristics, I ain't going to this movie. Why well, want watch a movie that's going to make me depressed and miserable? I got enough things to make me depressed and miserable. Why well, want watch a movie to make me more depressed and miserable? I'm going to hang out with this group of friends. Do I leave this group of friends even more miserable than I started? Or do I leave this group of friends uplifted? Make decisions. That's what I'm saying is make decisions. And uh, another thing, if you want really to help, I'm a visual person. I believe what you put around you in your space is very important. I go to houses and I see nice pieces of artwork and nice stuff. I hate that stuff. Okay? I'm not saying it's bad. If you like it, there's more power to you. What I like, picture of Jesus right there holding a little lamb. That's positive. That's uplifting. I see that. I'm uplifted. Positive thoughts. I see a verse on my desk. I keep certain verses around me, and I, and I keep, like, my goals and things like that with verses. Like, that stuff uplifts me. You see that stuff, and it gives you positive thoughts. Feed yourself positive thoughts by putting good positive thoughts around you. I'm not against the artwork. Like, I didn't mean it in a bad way, okay? But I'm just saying, don't just have artwork. Have uplifting stuff, okay? And, you know, like a, a flower, okay? Or like, whatever, okay? That leads you to think positive things, not just negative. Let me go away from this one before I get myself in problem with any interior designers here. <laughs> we make choices with our chemistry, get healthier. With our connections, deepen. With our uh, circumstances, trust. With our consciousness, we think positive. And then the most important choice that we're going to make. 
a most important choice. I must choose Jesus as my Savior. Now, before I explain, before you think that you know what I'm talking about here, let me tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not saying choose Jesus as your Savior, get a little card that says get out of hell free, and that's it. I'm not talking about a one-time choice that you say, I believe in Jesus, I trust in him, and then I'm, I'm done for life. Jesus didn't come just to be my Savior on the cross. Jesus came to be my Savior, an everyday Savior is what I try to say. He came to be my Savior every day. What that means is, we talk about salvation the best way to not water down salvation. Too many times we water it down, meaning just getting to heaven one day, and nothing, and nothing to do with the rest of my life. Salvation is healing. Jesus came to save us. He came to heal us. He came to heal us in our bodies. He came to heal our relationships. He came to heal the past events in our lives and turn them into, work them together for good. He came to heal our minds. We need to choose him as our savior and let him to do what he came to do, which is heal those things. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want to leave you all with this thought, okay, as we wrap up this series. We've been dealt a lot of cards in life and a lot of things that we don't like. And there's a lot of things that we wish we could change about any one of these aspects. And we could sit here all day and complain about every one of these things. And that ain't going to get you anywhere in life. You want to win this game? You want to get to that side? And you want to hear that you won this game? Then you make the choice to make Jesus the Savior of every one of these. And when you start struggling in your relationships, you say, Jesus, heal my relationships. And you obey his commandments for those relationships. Because that's how you find healing. You find healing from a doctor when the doctor tells you to take this medicine, you take the medicine. You find healing for your consciousness when you put his word in your head. Not the words from outside, but his word in your head. You find healing for your circumstances when you choose to believe what he says. When he says that all things work together for good to those who love God. Don't sit there and say, I can't. Don't sit and say it's too hard. Don't say it's impossible. Say that with God, anything is possible. Because the truth of the matter is, the example I always talk about is, I always talk about how Jesus made water into wine. With Jesus, without Jesus, no wine. With Jesus, wine. Without Jesus, your chemistry will not do nothing but depress you. With Jesus, he can transform it and use it in a positive way. Without Jesus, your connections, your consciousness, your circumstances, all these things, without him in the picture, yes, they will be miserable and you will lose this game. But when you use the wild card and you make the choice to say, Jesus, be my savior in every single one of these things, then nothing is impossible for you. I'm going to invite our music team to come back up and we want to close with a nice song together. And as we sing this song together, what I want us to kind of like pray inside of our hearts is to lift up any of these areas, Doug, come on up, okay? To lift up any of these areas and to picture ourselves, just like in this picture right here, is what I'm wearing, picture Jesus giving me a new set of relationships to wear. Take the circumstances that weighing me down and let him make those circumstances into a positive thing. The way that I'm weighed down up here, let Jesus give me a new way of thinking when I choose to make him my savior, okay? Let's stand up together.
And let's take just like a minute of silence to close our eyes and put ourselves, like, see ourselves like in front of God and see him giving us like in that picture that we just saw, like a new identity to wear. The identity we've been wearing around for so many years isn't cutting it anymore. And we need him to give us a, a, a new life, to make us a new creation in him as he promised. Take a minute just to ask God in your heart, Lord, make me a new creation. Make me a new person the way you want me to be.
we thank you that you've given us a chance to be your children. And we thank you that you are our Savior. And that you desire to save every aspect of our lives. Not just one time salvation, Lord, but everyday salvation. Lord, every day we need you. We need you to transform our lives, to make us this new creation which you promised us. Lord, we hear these words and we hear these promises and it sounds like, like fairy tales to us. But Lord, we, we, we give every aspect of our life to you and we ask you to, to save us. Or we ask you to transform it. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We tried and we tried and we tried and we failed. Every time we try, we fail. And, and we know that in our own power, our willpower is not going to be enough, Lord. But we trust in your mighty hand that you can give us a new identity in you and you can show us who we really are inside you. Pray, Lord, for every person here who doesn't know who they are inside you and is struggling because the world tells them who they are or people around them are telling them who they are. Help us all to know who we are inside you and the great, great, great inheritance and the great promise and the great vision and plan that you have for each one of us. Help us to know that more deeply and intimately and let that to drive us to a real long-term change in our lives. We ask all these things in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. See you all next week.